Evolutionary.org presents Evolutionary Hardcore Podcast with your co-hosts, Steve from the American Underground and Mobster from the UK Iron Den. Get ready for the most hardcore and underground info in the industry. And here we go. 10, 9, 8, 7, 6... Evolutionary.org hardcore podcast coming your way. Episode number 168. Today we're doing Sean Roden. Rest in peace, Sean Roden, Steve Schmee, and the Mobster. How's it going, buddy? All good. Getting chilly, but we're going to hot up on this podcast. I like it. So Sean Roden, who's a professional bodybuilder, nicknamed Flexitron. Considered one of the most gifted athletes of his era, he won Mr. Olympia, placed high at many competitions. At his peak, he was 5 foot 10 inches and a massive 250 pounds. He fulfilled his goals and aspirations that many can only dream of. But unfortunately, achieving those dreams likely shortened his life. So he did pass away. And we're doing this podcast not long after he passed away. So we're going to give you as much information as possible. We're going to talk about his life. We're going to talk about his steroid cycle. Um, he was a really, really good guy. And uh, Mobster and I were talking about on the pre-show, Mobster was bringing up how every lot of bodybuilders were crying over his death. It was a huge blow to bodybuilding. Uh, one of the one of the um, loved guys in, in, in in bodybuilding for sure. So, so a little bit on his background before I bring him, bring him off for his thoughts. Uh, he was born in Jamaica. He played soccer and cricket. Those were the two popular sports over there. I think they're popular over there where you are too. Uh, I'm officer. You guys like cricket. I think cricket in Jamaica is like number one with possibly sprinting or running number two and then soccer for sure. But you guys like it over there too, right? Oh yeah. 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 Yeah, I'm that's probably why it's it British. more of us. Yes, yeah, soccer we play year round, even when when we haven't actually got uh, competitions on. But uh, cricket is more of a summer sport. The cricket is on. So he is a he was a very gifted athlete, but he was also very skinny. We see a lot of this with these pro bodybuilders. They're you know they have the ectomorph physique when they are young. Once they hit puberty, they start lifting weights. They blow up like crazy. So. This is why Sean took up bodybuilding. He wanted to boost his size. His family moved to the United States as a teenager. And that's tough, uh, moving to a brand new country with no friends as a teenager. That's yeah. not something, um, you know, it's, it's a good thing, you know, immigrating to the United States. There's more opportunities, but it's a bad thing because when you're a teenager and moving like that, it's really, really tough. So um, I'm not a big fan of parents moving their kids when the kids are, you know, um, anywhere from, I'd say, you know, once they start school, like five, six years in, old, all the way, all the way through high school, do not move your kids. In the formative years, in the formative years, yeah. when, you, when you're finding your way in the world, when you're between the ages of probably, I would say, six or seven up to uh, mid-teens, when you're still trying to find who you are, your personality and so on and so forth. And then having the upheaval to add to it. Yeah, it's a, it's a big deal. Sean, though, he was lucky enough to fall in love with bodybuilding. Bodybuilding became his best friend. Weight training became his best friend. He joined a gym and he started taking weight training to another level before he turned 18. He suffered a major hand injury while working out in the gym and that destroyed the tendon in his hands. And he also had to overcome a back injury that had to sideline him for six months. So getting these types of injuries when you're really, really young, that just tells you the amount of destruction he was doing on his body from a young age. I mean, he worked out hard in the gym. He did not take any prisoners. So um, let's little talk. We want to jump in, Mobster, with your thoughts so far. I think one of the things that you said at the beginning, Steve, just to hammer this point with home, I've been around bodybuilding, weight training, weightlifting, whatever you want to call it, iron game, 
uh, as a fan and someone who's participated and written and everything else for 41 years as this podcast is going uh, being recorded and uh, obviously the access online is much greater now than it's ever been certainly 40 odd years ago and one of the things I said to Steve me in the pre-show was I've never seen so many grown men cry um, as a result of their relationship and how sad they was and how they were grieving with this man's passing. I think the only way that we're going to see something like this, uh, I mean, it's just as an indication of his popularity, but the only way we're probably going to see anything like this is perhaps even allowing for the politics would be Arnold Schwarzenegger and the effect that he's had on bodybuilding and his passing. So it, it was uh, impactful for, for that particular reason. I think the other thing that you said, just in regards to the injuries in training, occurred to me sort of a mental note was, I can only imagine, and we've probably all been incredibly guilty of this, um, he was probably doing the stupid stuff that we all done when we first started lifting weights, which is throwing stuff around, doing stupid stuff in the gym, doing challenges. And I think Steve touched on something else as well with the bone structure, when the ectomorphic bone structure is small joints. So you've got cheating movements, small joints, throwing weights around. So in his own perverse kind of way for the injuries of wherever else, he's done exactly the same as the rest of us, learned his lessons, hopefully, you know, over the years, uh, didn't do that stuff. And I can think of the more recent stuff we were going to get into regards training where that wasn't the case. But yeah, he's, he's one of our own. And I think that's another reason why, and we'll get into the specifics in a minute, regards his relationships with other bodybuilders. But it's one of those things that perhaps allowed him to be drawn to and, and, and you know, having that affection with other people. That is one of those guys. He's done that. He's made the mistakes. He's had the injuries. He's lived a life. And, and here he is now. Back to you, Steve. So let's talk about, before we get into his death, let's talk a little bit about how he got into bodybuilding, his amateur competition. So he, after he recovered from his back problem, 1997 Mid-Atlantic Bodybuilding Championship, he got second place. He then placed top three at the MPC Team Universe Championships three years in a row from 99 to 2001. Next year, his father passed away from cancer, which drove Sean to depression and alcohol. He quit the gym and he fell into a dark place in his life. Yeah. His friends begged him to get help and he finally listened and went to rehab. From there, he was able to get back his life and continue on with his bodybuilding dreams. Once he turned pro, he made an eight, uh, before he turned pro, he made an amazing comeback. In 2010, he was competing at serious shows, sixth place at the 2010 IFPB Dallas Europa, and then third in the same competition the very next year. 2011, Mr. Olympia, he got 11th place, and then the next year finished eighth at the Arnold Pro. He would go on to compete at more than two dozen of the toughest competitions, placing in top three in most of them. His Mr. Olympia fi uh, finishes, as mentioned, 2011, 11th place. 2012, the next year, jumped up to third place. 2013, he got fourth. 2014 and 2015, he got third. 2016, he got second place to Phil Heath. Then in 2017, he got fifth place. The next year, 2018, that was his peak year. He supplanted the reigning champion, Phil Heath, and won, which is incredible because Phil Heath dominated the Mr. Olympia for several years as the Mr. Olympia champion. It looked like he was unstoppable, but then some problems came again. The next thing that happened, divorce, uh, father was not faith. Uh, Sean was not faithful in his marriage. We just see this a lot with bodybuilders and athletes. Uh, he divorced his wife, any, any look, any, any profession. We see this a lot. Um, but because he, as a high profile athlete, you know, it's going to become publicized. Divorce his wife, Michelle Sugar, three years after they had a daughter together. <clears throat> after his Mr. Olympia win, Sean invited a married woman who was, he was coaching up to his room, Salt Lake City. And she says that he sexually assaulted her. He pled not guilty to the charge and posted a large bell. Meanwhile, the organizing body for Mr. Olympia banned him from future competitions on until further notice. This is a big deal. You're banning the Mr. Olympia champion. Um, and this is a tough situation because there's only two people who know what happened in the room, him and the, and the woman. So, 
you know, she says that he sexually assaulted her. He says it was consensual. The bottom line is, you know, Sean fucked up here. You know, you never invite a colleague, um, a client up to your room like that. That's extremely unprofessional in the first place. So, Mobster, what are your thoughts on, uh, on all this? I'll start at the beginning. First, as you say quite properly, uh, and I don't think athletes are necessarily in modern times any more guilty or otherwise in terms of uh, relationships, marriages, temptations and so on and so forth. The reality, as you well know, Steve, isn't it like 50% in America, 50% in the UK of marriages were ending divorce, something ridiculous. That's a one in two. So to say that bodybuilders are any more or less susceptible is rubbish. However, professional athletes, people well-known, if you've got money, the temptation's there. People want what you've got. They are attracted to people that are uh, stars, for want of a better phrase. And so the argument, and especially, I mean, again, bodybuilding, you're so, it's just like a beauty show. So you're surrounded by, when you go to competitions and in the gym and by professional athletes that are incredibly fit, incredibly, hopefully, in certain cases, incredibly um, healthy. Uh, and, and for the most part, uh, you know, we've talked about this before, very rarely over 40. So you've got sexually attractive healthy women around you if you're a guy and the same if you're a woman so there's an there's another thing there the, the one that i got into which you talked about in a pre-show and made certain notes for these shows for is the thing that steve's just mentioned in terms of the court case yes 100 i can think of other professional bodybuilders that have athletes that work underneath them or come up for, to, to their room for advice and so on and we've seen this on on a podcast we've seen this on uh, youtube videos Typically, there's someone else there, whether it's a partner, whether there's a camera put up or whatever else. So, you know, the idea, for example, and in this particular case, the person that's made the accusation has essentially been in trouble with the law for making accusations. Uh, without going into specifics, because you guys can look this up, and I didn't make a note of it. Long story short is that she and uh, uh, I believe it was her husband. Uh, put together essentially what amounted to as being a lie on a previous occasion, got caught it out in that particular lie. So now you've got the guy that's just become Mr. Olympia at the time, wins $400,000, is separated from his wife, and you tell your husband to stay downstairs while you go upstairs. Why the hell the husband can't come up? God only knows. Uh, and then put yourself in that particular situation. So it, it does sound, in my, my personal opinion, like it could have been contrived, and then you're into this particular situation. Something Steve and I specifically talked about in the pre-show is the double standards here. Again, I've been around this game a long time. And as I get older, I hear more stuff. There are books in my library, my bodybuilding weightlifting library upstairs, which specifically get into some of the things regards judging and uh, people being arrested. Arnold Schwarzenegger got arrested before he came to America and had to leave Germany. He might have even put himself in that situation. There are other accusations against him over here, unproven, and, and, and again in the States. So there's a lot of stuff, and that's probably one of the greatest bodybuilders we've ever had. Now, in terms of the double standard, right, you've got an unproven court case. He's pleaded not guilty. It's not gone to court. And you decide just for the publicity, you don't want him on stage. Meanwhile, you have other professional bodybuilders in the lineup that have criminal records you have uh, a sponsor that i named in the pre-show to steve that sponsored the event that had admitted their guilt in a court case with the fda the federal government and right uh, as this pre as we record this they're about to go for sentencing and may potentially be presented up to 14 years and yet you're happy to accept their money in order to sponsor the competition but at the same time, you don't want Sean Roden, who's not been found guilty, to stand on stage. And of course, uh, one of the accusations by uh, his friends was, so you're stopping this man and a living, you're stopping him being the professional bodybuilder that he is, but not allowing him to be a professional bodybuilder, you're not allowing him to compete if he wished to do so and so on and so forth. I want to get also into something that Steve and I talked about now, and this goes back to, as I said at the beginning, with regards to the relationship that he had with his buddies. People, I mean, Sergio Olivia Jr. talks about how um, Sean paid out of his own pocket to come to see every single competition that Sergio Jr. has done for the last few years. 
because that was the kind of man that he was. You've got uh, the relationship with the guys, again, is they're all upset, but they all decide together, although this has actually been changed just in the last week or so, that they want to put together a GoFundMe for Sean Roden's daughter. But they, their, their anger and their emotion over the conversation, a video, again, by RX Muscle, with regards to Dave interviewing Sean Ray, and Sean Ray is making certain accusations. And so they go, how is this guy able to lie on camera? He's been caught out. There are videos out there right now showing you where he's lying, showing you where he's backpedaling in a, in a second and a third up, up a video. And the person that he's made these statements about is dead. So they're angry. They're angry because it's a lie. They're angry because the man had been dead three, three four days. And they're angry because he was a good man. Far more comical than you see him on camera, far more friendly, far more outgoing and incredibly supportive. Uh, um, the, 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 the fact that Steve said already that he's overcome certain issues with regards to the injuries and the alcohol made him again someone who'd been there, seen there, had done it as far as his buddy was concerned. And so, the, the, and I think one of the notes I made here was he was one of those fellas, and it's very rare in the sport. And Steve, for me, will back me up on this. The idea sometimes uh, in, 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 we're kind of selfish in, when it comes to sports, um, but Sean Roden was not. And if he had your back, he had your back. If he, if he said, if you were a buddy of his, it was 100%. It wasn't one of those things that could blow hot and cold, depending on how popular you are at the moment and whatever else. And so I, I'm thinking, for example, Sergio Olivia crying. I'm thinking of uh, Psycho Lewis crying. I'm thinking of other guys being emotional on camera, certain bodybuilders that are, were angry that want to have a confrontation with Sean. And again, as I said, it's, I mean, just, just, just from a purely how you should act after a person's just passed away. To, to coin a phrase that we use over here, the body's barely cold, and here you are making these kind of comments, here you are being this kind of person to a man that's just died, literally just died. The family will still be grieving and you're out there creating videos, making accusations and none of these other fellas, you know, it's one of those like, well, you need you need both sides. And of course we ended up with both sides, but it's, it's very distasteful, Steve. It's not the sort of thing that, you know, what you say in private versus what you say in public, that's that kind of thing. It's just not nice at all, back to you. So let's kind of get into a little bit his Instagram page as of now, looks like it's still up. Um, and he was marketing some brands and apparel. Um, his diet and training, we can kind of get into that a little bit. Um, I'll talk about his diet, Mobster. You can talk a little bit about his training. Um, he keeps a very strict diet in season. And then during the off season, he likes to bulk 10, 20 pounds heavier. He has talked about how he doesn't care if he keeps a six pack during the off season because he's more worried about packing on muscle. So that's, that's interesting. That's something that, um, it, it, when I, one of the things about this though, when I mentioned earlier about him being an ectomorph, you know, it's easy for him to cut back down because he spent his first 20 years on earth being skinny. So for him, cutting down is easy, but if you've been, you know, kind of, you know, average build or kind of chubby your whole life, you can't do something like this. I talk a lot about this on the forums because your body has memory. So for him, he can kind of get sloppy with his diet. He can, he could, you know, gain some, some 20, 10, 20 pounds. And then it's easy for him to just cut that, cut that off. And then he'll magically lose the weight. So that's something for you guys to be aware of um, when he does it. But, you know, this is one of these situations, knowing your body, he knows he can do it. He knows he can get away with it. So he was able to do it before he, you know, passed away. So I'm also getting into that a little bit and then talk about his training a little bit and we'll kind of get into his death. Yeah, there was actually a a series of photographs and I believe later on a small video that came a couple of few years ago. It was around the time, I think he either just won the Mr. Olympia and before the accusation or just just after. I can't remember the uh, uh, time. But the long and the short of it was, as quite exactly as Steve said, so there's the photograph is just doing a guest posing at a competition. I mean, from memory, it might have been a Dexter Jackson classic, but I might be wrong. Long story short, he comes on stage and he's out of shape. He's not, there are no abs. The, the belly is a little bit bloated. 
uh, he, he may have even had the tiniest touch of Guyana. He kind of had that level of, of, of shape to him. And people were like, what the hell? And it was one of those, I think Steve kind of is, is correct in his, in his thinking. It's one of those like, it's also a professional bodybuilder thing. If I'm paying you to appear on stage, one assumes he's being paid as a pro, then I expect you to have some kind of shape. I don't necessarily expect you to be in Mr. Olympia shape because staying in that kind of condition all year round is just as unrealistic, regardless of your ecto endo or mesomorphic. It's just impossible. And you shouldn't stay in that kind of shape all year round. It's very difficult to make progress no matter what. But equally, was it unprofessional of him to turn up on stage? And I think the other part, which Steve just touched upon, was that once they got past, was it professional or not, they got into the, oh my God, look at his shape. And I think it must have been 12 weeks, something like that. I'm going to say pre-competition because they're like, what the hell is he doing looking this far out of condition pre-show? But it's exactly what Steve said. He did, he came in 12, 16 weeks later, whatever the time scale was, a hell of a lot better. And I think it's exactly like Steve says. I mean, I'm probably a little bit older than Sean was. So the idea that uh, his metabolism would have still been ticking over when that happened and having the ability and knowledge and experience to get into shape. There is some conversation with some of his buddies in the recent videos in regards to which we'll get into specifics of in a minute. Of course, the PED use not being that high uh, compared to other pros. So as you said, the knowledge of him being able to know that he can get into shape in that time scale and carrying, perhaps, as, as you said, if he'd have been an endomorph, that would have been a really bad idea. If it had been meso, it would have still been a little bit, because there's going to be a mesomorphic quality to him. The muscular shape is still going to be in there. The aesthetic's still going to be in there. Uh, whereas uh, ectomorph, as you say, Steve, tends towards the slightly faster metabolism, tends towards the not carrying much body fat. And so uh, if your shape, the, your um, classification of body doesn't really change throughout your life. You do have some slowing down in metabolism as you get older. It's a little bit easier to gain bad weight as you get older. It's just assuming you don't train and you eat like a normal person. So again, we're talking about a bodybuilder that was around 40 or so when he won the Mr. Olympia. So you've got those issues. But again, that's the knowledge that you should have with the years that you've been training about what works, what doesn't work how quickly you can get into shape, knowing from experience that you can be in shape in 10 weeks. I mean, I can think of a pro bodybuilders. Dexter Jackson is a good example as a Mr. Olympia himself, who only in the last few years started to do cardio, for example, Steve. So having that knowledge, knowing that, you know, you can get away with those kind of things, knowing you can be out of shape 16 weeks out when everybody else has already got abs, and getting into shape, that's knowledge. And that's that's what actually something that we should we, we talk about on podcasts like this when we turn around and say, learn, I've said it before, specifically online, learn yourself, know thyself. And here's a person that must have known thyself because, again, I think the only reason he wasn't winning the Mr. Olympia is because of Phil Heath. The only reason he wasn't winning the Mr. Olympia is because he had, he, he had a good body, et cetera, et cetera, already. It's just that the competition on stage was better, greater, available not available and then then when it came to the situation that he ended up in he was the best on stage on that day and that proves that sometimes the judging is on point steve back to you all right so next one we're going to talk about unfortunately is his death so november 6 2021 chris aceto his trainer sean's trainer announced that his friend and client sean roden had passed away Chris spoke about how Sean was a selfless individual who always shared his time with others and never spoke ill of any one person. And I, um, I interviewed Chris Aceto. I also had a lengthy conversation with him after I interviewed him for my podcast. And he's a very good guy. So, you know, um, I would say that if he says Sean is a good guy, then I'm going to take his word for it. I don't think Chris is, is that type of person who's going to, want to be with someone who wasn't so um the early reports that he suffered a massive heart attack coupled with other prior health issues only 46 years old so that seems to be around the age mobster that we're seeing these high-end pro bodybuilders that are dying <clears throat> and um 
the shocking part about this one versus some of the other guys that we've done who have passed away, mobster, is yeah. that he won Mr. Olympia. So that would be like Tom Brady winning the Super Bowl. And then, you know, a year or two later, dying from a health problem. You know, yeah. it would shock anyone. Or LeBron James. Can you imagine LeBron James winning the NBA championship and then a year or two later getting a heart attack? I mean, it's just, it wouldn't make any sense. But this just shows you bodybuilding isn't a healthy endeavor. And it's all about what you look like on the outside. It's not what you look like on the inside. If they took a, if it was a competition of what you look like on the inside, you know, you would, it would be just, you'd be like the most unhealthy, one of the most unhealthy, unhealthy people out there. There's like 350 pound obese Americans who, you know, shop Walmart for their groceries and eat nothing but processed foods and never touch the fruit or vegetable in their life who mm. are healthier than what Sean Roden was, you know, and because he was basically a, t- a ticking time bomb and, and we'll, uh, we'll kind of get into it. So I'm going to um, share my opinion. I know Mops, you want to get in. Do you want to share a little bit about this and also share I, I, your opinion? I'm gonna, yeah. yeah. I'm going to deal with it for two ways. First off, in terms of actual medical issues, all of this information is out there already, guys. We're not showing any secrets. Sean had had issues with ulcers. Sean had had an issue with, I can't remember if it was a broken jaw or not, when he turned up and his bike guys, buddies are like, what the hell? And his, his jaw had to be wired shut. And they were using a blender so they could get food in, maintain his muscle size. So it had a medical issue there. That there'd been a heart issue or some sort of heart issue in the past. That stuff's been discussed. That stuff's well known. What Steve said is correct. And I'll address that now very quickly. Uh, whether you're a bodybuilder or not, Right. And I, I've got buddies like this, and I'm sure Steve's got buddies like this, or, or, or you know, buddies of buddies like this, right? Where they're, where they're doing recreational drugs, where they're hitting the booze too often, where they're going out and having crazy weekends, where they're staying up all night on, on this, that, or the other drug, and whatever else, right? Now, there's some argument, and it always seems like this. We've got our own version of the rednecks over here, Steve, where sometimes they seem to be doing absolutely crazy drugs, meth, God knows what else, and no matter what. They, 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 they seem kind of bulletproof. Their genetics are crazy. But the reality of the situation is, and whether we're talking about Sean Roden, whether we're talking about someone else, or we're just bodybuilding generally, and I think I'll, I'll, I'll leave it there but rather than Sean, because, again, reports I wasn't a, a heavy user of PEDs, unlike others, is that certain lifestyles and elements of lifestyles are wearing. They are aging. They are damaging. If you're up all night, doing drugs, drinking and smoking, eating shit. We've got members on our forums that, and I'll use the rabbit ears while I'm talking to Steve here, don't like veggies or I can't eat vegetables. Yes, you fucking can. There's a point right there. And 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 it's, can I have cold cuts rather than go out and buy chicken breast from the supermarket or your local butcher or whatever? And we, we're like, come on, guys. You want to get big, you want to get strong, but surely you want to be big and strong, lean for a long time. Can I have a beer during the week? Can I have beers at the weekend? Can I use cannabis? Steve, back me up on this. The whole, it's kind of like guys want to be able to do stupid shit and still look amazing. That's fucking magic, guys. It's not, it's a, it's a, it's unbelievably rare if you haven't got the genetics and even with the genetics. And you really can't do it. You can't burn the candle at both ends and expect to look amazing. Now, what Steve's inferring, really, when he talks about bodybuilding, which we have addressed on other podcasts, is we know some bodybuilders are using crazy amounts of drugs. The amount of drugs professional bodybuilders are using now is way higher than it was back in the day, back in the 70s, back in the 80s, back in the 90s. It seems to be increasing incrementally year on year. And... We've seen this year, with COVID, without COVID, more deaths. And when you look at sometimes, I would say 50 or 60% of the deaths, specifically on the female side, the drugs that they were doing, the wear and tear on the body because of the drugs they're doing, the extremes of diet and extremes of PED use that they were doing, 
to get into shape because they hadn't got into shape properly before doing that is worse now than it's ever been and it has an effect you can't get away with this stuff now again specifically with regards to short i'm not saying that this is the case his buddies say it's not the case and these are people that are closest to him there's no point pretending that PD use doesn't happen in bodybuilding when it's all never used performance enhancing drugs. So that's bullshit. But the idea necessarily that he was doing loads, I don't know. We'll see. If his buddies say not, I'm gonna I'm gonna agree with. In terms of his training, for example, Steve, uh, there are videos of him training with Charles Glass, training with other bodybuilders on point. Nothing crazy now. Maybe that's where the injuries come when he was younger, but nothing crazy now. He's a big strong fella. He has the genetics. But again, with those other potential medical issues on the table, with if he had been that kind of bodybuilder, the heavy drug use that some bodybuilders are doing and the things that we're seeing in, in the sport in general, and of course, specifically this last 12 months, it's kind of a red flag for us. And Steve and I have been around the game a long time. That's why we're doing this podcast purely for that reason, because we have this knowledge and experience going back a long ass time. We don't want to see buddies of ours. We don't want to see foreign members. We don't want to see our listeners dropping down dead because they did stupid fucking shit. It's as simple as that. Back to you, Steve. All right. So I'm going to share a little bit of my opinion. Um, really, uh, I have mixed feelings about Sean Roden. On one hand, you know, he's had a history of alcohol abuse, infidelity, assault charges. So I have to wonder, does he have his head screwed on straight? Um, and as I discussed earlier, you know, why would you invite a married woman who you're coaching up to your room if you did not have, you know, plan on having sex with her? So nobody knows what happened in that room except both of them. So if he was innocent, it would be unfair to ruin his legacy. And at the end of the day, you know, this stuff happens a lot with athletes. You know, we talked about it earlier. Women throw themselves at certain certain types of women absolutely throw themselves at athletes. Uh, if you go to um, you ever take your girlfriend like to football game or something and afterwards, you know, they're signing autographs or something. You get up close to them and, <laughs> you know, the girl is like she gets a picture with them and she's just like blown away. You know, oh, my God, he's he's you know, I see this guy on TV, you know, and then I'm seeing him up in person. So yeah. women, you know, love that shit. And um, so as an, someone in that situation, you have to be disciplined. You have to be disciplined enough to not do something stupid, like invite the person up to your room, especially when they're married, because nothing can come good out of that. You know, so now as far as health, it's shocking that he won Mr. Olympia just three years prior. And, you know, I talked about that earlier, but gosh, isn't that scary? So it makes me wonder how many of these Mr. Olympia competitors are months or a couple of years away from passing away. Mm. It also is going to make a lot of people more antagonistic towards bodybuilding. And, you know, watching your favorite athletes retire is tough enough as a fan. Believe me, growing up, you know, I'd watch my favorite athletes retire and I'd get really upset or I'd watch them leave to another team, get traded, you know, and that sucks, you know, but it's a yeah. whole nother ball game. It's a whole nother level when you see your favorite athletes actually die, you know, and it's not something you're supposed to see, you know, your athletes are supposed to, you know, be strong and live forever and to see them just die literally three months after they win the you know Mr. Olympia, it's it's just it's hard to wrap your head around it, you know. So, you know, that's just my opinion of it. I'll bring in Mobster and then we'll get into uh, the cycle. To the youth. Yeah. I mean, I, I'm thinking of I've read three autobiographies of a very famous footballer over here. You might have heard of Steve called George Best. And um, what upset an enormous amount of people prior to his death was that the man had an enormous talent for, for soccer, uh, a skill that was just mind-blowing. I know from his autobiographies how much work he put in as a young boy, uh, seven hours sometimes kicking the ball into a goal on the side of his mother's house, 
I know, for example, he said his mother was an alcoholic, but I think if the ball's banging against the side of the house for seven hours, I'm not surprised, which was almost kind of like a joke in its way. But he practised for years to get to the level that he got to. And then he ended up being, like Pelé, one of those kind of legends of the sport. And unfortunately, unlike Pelé, he then pretty much spent the rest of his life as an alcoholic. We've got an, at least another couple of soccer players I can think of right now that went that went that particular way, that their one great thing in life was this sport, whether it's pro-American football or soccer over here or, or, or baseball or whatever. I should go, this guy's an amazing athlete. He's fantastic. He's, he's otherworldly. His scores, his points, his results, the way that he plays the game is on another little, it's kind of almost like an alien. And then, then you hear that he's as humid as everybody else. In fact, he's worse. He's when he can't play, when he's unable to go onto the field of play, he's doing crazy stuff. And I've said so many alcoholics, so many guys using drugs, whether it's baseball, basketball, American football, soccer, or whatever else. And for us as fans, that is an incredible shame. Now, in, and again, in Sean's case, that may not be the case. It may well just be that we talk about the sport in general again. We want these guys to look a certain particular way. We want the monsters to come on stage and give us a free. We want to be blown away by how massive and how muscular and how in condition someone can be. But we don't want them dying. And, and as a, for two reasons. First off, because if our aspirations are the same, are we suggesting that we want to die young? Because that's a really bad idea. And then the other aspect which occurs to me, someone of my age and experience, is probably because it makes the sport look fucking stupid. It makes the sport look bad. Let's get you as big and crazy and freak as you possibly can because we don't give a fuck you're going to die. Or that our sport chosen in this particular case of bodybuilding is so unhealthy that guys are dying, women are dying. Fuck the sport. Because how do you get mainstream sponsors on board how do you get the tv and the media to pay more attention without ridiculing you if your athletes are dying i mean it has been said in other videos and other podcasts will it take someone dying on stage for us the sport in general to pay attention for us to bring in doctors for us to have medical tests to have these kind of things happen you know is it healthy, for example, for the younger people that have done the crazier PED cycles, which, again, we're going to get into in a minute, that have gained 30, 40, 50 pounds? Rami going from 200 to 280 pounds in a year because of his genetics. Dallas McCarver, at his young age, being able to breathe, having medical issues and being close to 300 pounds, and a bunch of other athletes that have gained 40, 50, 60 pounds in a fucking year because they've gone crazy. The idea, for example, I think as they euphemistically called a sandbox with some of the athletes that are going out to the Middle East and being having access to ridiculous amounts of drugs and the health issues that they might be having. So you have to say to yourself, right, there, there is kind of a line that needs to be drawn. A kind of a, we, 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 Steve and I are both on, on the same side with this, what we call a common sense, healthier approach to PED use, to doing, to allowing the athletes, that's just longativity, just to having a longer life, being great athletes for a longer period of time. That's just as a fan. And then just as a human being saying, do, do your absolute best in your chosen sport, be the damn best you possibly can be, and then live a long life and enjoy it. I mean, come on. I mean, that's the whole point. And again, I think there's one more issue, Stephen. It's probably age-related. You and I have seen plenty of younger guys, and it's nearly always guys, but sometimes women as well, where the attitude is a lot more gung-ho when they're a certain age versus 5, 10, 15 years down the road. And I'll, I'll include him again because we've mentioned him in previous hardcore postcard, Boston Lloyd attitude 10 years ago versus now. You'll back me up on this when you turn around and say, he was gone from a, I don't care how much I put in and I want to miss the Olympia, to I want to be a father, I'm in a long-term relationship, to oh my God, I'm appalled at what other people are doing, never mind what I used to do. And if you go back 10 years and compare them to now, that's the difference. And that's literally come down to maturity and seeing yourself further down the road of wanting to be around as a father, having a relationship that makes you want to be around longer, as, as opposed to not giving a damn 10 years ago, 15 years ago, and so on and so forth. So again, we try to get this point across on the podcast, guys, 
you know, the reason where we talk about this hardcore stuff is to explain what people are doing. But equally, we give you the negative and the positive. The positive is looking amazing. The positive is being famous. The positive is winning a trophy. The negative is you could potentially be taking years off your life. And we know people that have done that. And so our long-term view, myself as 57 years of age, is we want you around for a long time. We want you to be listening to this podcast for a long time. We want you to be healthy. And so this is the reason why we're getting to this. Let's get into, as you say, Steve, what we think the PED use for someone like Sean Roden would have been and how he got into shape. And again, I'll get into specifics of what his friend said versus what we think. And again, it's not necessarily specific to Sean Roden, but specific to someone at his level, being on stage and doing what needs to be done in order to become a, a, a top 10, top five, top three Mr. Olympia type person. That used to. Yeah, so we're, you know, this is a death cycle, guys. This is, you know, Sean was messing around with a lot of stuff. Um, he was messing with alcohol and steroids. Uh, he had issues. So, you know, we could speculate his death cycle could have looked something like this. Let's kind of get over, go over some of the things. One of the ones that uh, we know these pro bodybuilders use uh, a lot of is uh, human growth hormone, HGH. Uh, 25 IUs is not unheard of. Very expensive to use that much HGH. I mean, thousands of dollars. But if you're going to be at that level, you need that HGH. HGH is going to give you the ability to split and grow cells in the body, not just grow cells like steroids help with, but actually split and grow cells. So this is why they abuse HGH at this level. Now, when you run that much HGH, your blood sugar skyrockets. So how do you get your blood sugar back down? That's through insulin. So 15 IUs a day, not unheard of. And the, the thing that the HGH and insulin is going to do in synergy is going to help you better take advantage of your large meals. So you see these pro bodybuilders, some of them, you know, they do the videos and they, you're walking around the grocery store and they're, they're buying all this food and they're eating all this protein, 400, 500, 600 grams a day of protein. And you're like, how can, how can they even do that without getting fat, you know, and, and able to not get sick of eating day in and day out, eating that much food. Well, when you're running HGH and insulin together like that, it's going to allow you to better take advantage of these foods that you're eating. These, these, then basically it gets forced into the muscle. Um, after, you know, you, you, you eat the meal and you take the insulin before you eat the meal, it's going to partition that food. So you're able to actually take advantage of that food. Now, a normal person, you eat that much food, it's not going to give you the benefit. So really, you need to be using the HGH and insulin together for that reason. The other steroids, there's, let's talk about some steroids now. Those HGH and insulin, of course, are not steroids, they're peptides. Now let's get into some of the steroids. Testosterone sipinate, 1,500 milligrams a week especially in the off season, load up on that, on that sipinate. And then before your show, you start dropping it and you drop it off. Obviously the other one, they run a lot of Tremblone, 1250 milligrams a week. Uh, I would say trend was the big game changer in bodybuilding into the nineties. Um, guys started using trend and it started blowing up their physiques. That's where it really separated the boys from the men. If you weren't using trend, then you were then you were screwed. I'm going to jump in here for a second here, Steve. Trend, of course, which we've discussed again on the forums and in previous podcasts, is potentially and arguably the one with the greatest side effects in regular use in bodybuilding. And the one that perhaps more than any other drug that we're going to discuss, I can think of maybe two down the bottom, which we'll get into in a minute, of the steroids, is the one perhaps that comes with the greatest risk and reward. Reward being, you know, as Steve's talked about before, ungodly strength, ungodly muscle, but equally the side effects are nasty and arguably potentially the one that's going to affect your health the most in terms of your bloods, in terms of your uh, physical condition, especially when you're eating the amount of protein that Steve says, especially when you're talking about the other drugs, which we're going to get into. So trend is the, the ungodly returns and rewards, but potentially the one that's most harmful to your health and especially at this level. Back to you, Steve. Yeah, so let me do one more and then Mobster, you can kind of talk about the other 
Yep. One's um, in, in the death cycle. Next one, very, very important to run master on and 1500 milligrams a week. This one is great for hardening. So you're a pro bodybuilder. You want those muscles to look hard on stage. You want them to look like rocks. You want them to feel like rocks. Masteron is extremely important. Um, Trembolone, Masteron, and then Mobster is going to talk about Winstrel. Those three are absolutely mandatory these days for pro bodybuildings. And of course, the fourth one being HGH, as I discussed. So Mobster, you know, um, this cycle overall, just with the injectables, is, let's see, 3,000, 4,000. Uh, 50 over five over five grams of gear just the injectables not counting the orals it's an insane cycle now you can see why bodybuilders are dying of heart attacks in their 40s yep. what else was he taking the fourth uh the fourth injectable is equipoise tell us a little bit about equipoise i mean you've already mentioned with regards to the sip for example taking it uh, uh in a competition cycle some weeks out before the competition because it's a long-acting ester, and you want to see where your, your body is and, and, and so on and so forth in terms of your condition. So Mastron, which Steve's already touched upon, and Equipoise are both drugs which are polishers, hardeners. They're the ones that are going to lean you out. And again, this is conjunction with, obviously, as always, training and diet. So again, we've, we've, we're suggesting in here, as a pro bodybuilder, with the test being dropped, that Equipoise would be coming in for a pro bodybuilder as a competition cycle, as something to make you look good, to show the muscle that you built and retained and added to, et cetera, et cetera, in your, you know, all the work you've been doing all year prior to going into a competition cycle. And we're thinking upwards of around a thousand milligrams a week. And as Steve said, I just did the maths on the first drug that you mentioned, Steve, that you're talking about something like $250 per day of HGH. It, it, you know, I think it's about, sorry, uh, what's, what's it costing them up? Yeah, something like $250 a day, just right there. Um, Anadrol would probably be something that's run earlier or the middle of the cycle and again dropped towards the very end. And that's more of the keeping the mass on. So you want to maintain the muscle, you're dieting, you're coming down in weight, you're, you're, you're starting to lean out, you want to keep some of the muscle and you want to keep some of that strength that you've been working all year round with and, and maintain. But equally, it's a harsh drug, and it's a specifically harsh drug at around 200 milligrams a day. I mean, that's 1,400 milligrams of Anadrol a week, Steve, and it's an oral. So there's an issue right there. Winstrol, uh, around 150 milligrams a day, is another, like Equipoise and Masteron, one of those ones that, again, subject to the right conditions you do in your cardio, you dieting, you training, is going to be one that's going to lean you out and, and add a little polish to you uh, it comes with its side effects, Steve, as you know, in regards of joint issues. Um, but we're not talking, as we've said many times on these podcasts before, we're not necessarily talking about someone feeling healthy versus how they look. And that's the trick. I mean, if a fat man could run 100 metres in under 10 seconds, then we'd see fat guys running in the Olympics. But the reality is that you need to apply the power to weight ratio. Bodybuilding is not always, and specifically with these kind of cycles, about looking good and being good it's just about looking good so you know i i wouldn't want to do the stuff that's already been mentioned and then wind stroll drying out my joints while i'm getting leaner while i've got less body fat and any kind of fat even in between the joints and and i'd be in it would be uncomfortable steve but then we're going to i'll get into the last two which if anything is going to make you uncomfortable these two are we talk about this on the forum all the time it's a horrible, nasty drug, and you can fuck up and you can die. But would someone like Sean, who's at that Olympia level, if, for example, they weren't ectomorphic, if they haven't dieted properly, be tempted to use DNP? Yes. The short answer is yes. The brutal answer is yes. The problem is, as we've said already, if trend comes with ungodly pluses and, and then as just as many minuses in terms of your health, DNP pretty much seems to come with just the minuses in terms of the potential for dangerous issues, the potential for stupid stuff to your body. And something else I've touched on in regards to DNP, regardless of the temptation, regardless of whether we think top pros are using it, is that most people that use DNP end up looking bad afterwards, if not worse, when they stop using it, 
as opposed to whatever kind of shape they get into because of the use. And the last one, and potentially, and this is actually something that might really tie in as much as the other drugs would with regards to Sean's previous issues, with his previous alcohol issue, with his previous ulcer, with his previous heart issues, and that's using diuretics. Now, I'm not saying that this specifically affected Sean, but the potential here for issues, I'm thinking mostly with the heart, Steve, is that if you are using a diuretic and you fuck up when you're using a diuretic, way for doing too much by uh, basically screwing around with your electrolytes um, and those electrolytes do what, Steve? One of, the things, one of the things that they do is to do with your regularity of your heartbeat. So the idea then that you're taking a particular drug like the trend as part of your cycle, even if it's lower doses than we're suggesting, and this is backed up by his buddies, when you've got heart issues, when you've had an ulcer, um, the potential for messing up on diuretics and making even a worse effect on your heart, on your rhythmic, arrhythmia, for example, with regards to the regularity of your heartbeat on diuretics is incredibly high. And again, I don't think it's specifically what we're looking at here because Sean wasn't trying to get into shape when he passed away. But had he had that heart issue and then taken diuretics, it was so easily screwed up. And we've had this again, Steve, and we, I'll, I'll touch on this very quickly, whether we're talking about a cycle like this for a Promise to Olympia or whether we're advising people online. Not always are we given the information that we really need to give proper decent advice based on experience based on our knowledge so sometimes guys come onto the forum and they won't mention medical issues then they, we give them we give them cycle advice because we don't know that they've got a medical issue because they haven't mentioned it and i just replied to a question on the forum this morning steve one of the ones that we replied to daily and it's specifically about a person that had, had a medical issue but only mentioning it after the fact. And this was a red flag for us in, in an enormous way that made us instantly say, right, then when you shouldn't be doing this, you shouldn't be doing that. Do not take the advice that we gave you earlier until your doctor says you can go ahead. So for example, uh, I'm thinking of a very popular product on the forum is insulin uh, sold by Need to Build Muscle, but the person had diabetes and we go, okay, Go and get your doctor's permission if, for example, and this is one of those risk versus reward visions, there's professional bodybuilders out there, which I'm sure there are, that might have heart murmurs, that might have arrhythmia, but they might have the enlarged heart that comes with being an athlete, and then they mess around with diuretics, they mess around with something that's going to make their heart race, they're, they're doing, using products that speed up their metabolism like clen, et cetera, et cetera. The, the, you know, the, the risk for them to have problems, fatal problems, is a lot, lot higher. And, you know, our advice is try to give them from the best of perspective. We don't want you to go out and do stupid shit and kill yourself or end up in hospital just for a trophy because you looked good. We want you to be look good and be good. So go back to this list of drugs again. As Steve said already, five grams a week is not uncommon at Sean's level, pre-show, in the top levels of bodybuilding. It's becoming more pro problematic and more common in the lower levels. And this is for guys that aren't Mr. Olympia. And this is why we're seeing more issues across the sport as a whole. And so Sean, being loved, having this uh, relationship with his buddies, putting out the way that he was is that much more missed because it becomes something that's become for, for other people involved in the sport unnecessary. If you're not going to win the Mr. Olympia, do you need to use five grams a week? Fuck no. Do you need to risk cramping up on stage? Do you need to risk ending up in ER? Do you need to risk all these other things? No, no, and no. What do you think, Steve? At the end of the day, you know, we've done these podcasts, we've done several podcasts now on bodybuilders who passed away. And I've said each time this, you know, pretty much the same thing. Uh, you know, yeah. bodybuilding's not gonna change anytime soon. Um, mobster mentioned guys dying on stage. We've seen guys pass out on stage, we've got seen guys faint on stage, and they've lied. 
you know, it's always a lie. It's always, oh yeah, I, I passed out on stage. I wasn't feeling well. I, I had a cold or, you know, or something else. Or they want to blame, you know, they want to blame something or something they took or, or something oh, yeah. like that. They don't want to blame the, the sport. It's like, What's they don't the want to blame one, Steve? What's the classic one which you and I brought? The amount of fellas that supposedly had stomach issues just before a big competition. They've gone to Las Vegas to compete in Mr. Olympia and I've got an upset stomach two days out. How is that possible, guys? So many of you. Now and again, bad food, but you're all had bad food. Most of you are cooking the food in your room. So how are you getting... You're not eating out at restaurants two days before the Mr. Olympia. So that's one. And in reality, that's a suggestion of messing up with diuretics, messing up with infections, using the wrong kinds of drugs. So there's one right there. Uh, um, it's, it's, it's just one example that we see all the time. We, we know people that have passed that. We know pro bodybuilders because they told us having to take oxygen at the side of the stage, in, in, especially at prejudging, so that, and the audience can see them taking oxygen. We know back in the day with Paul Dillette, diuretic misuse cramping up to the point with a whole body cramp. Two or three other bodybuilders like Paul that ended up having to go to hospital. We even discussed this in a recent show where we talked about uh, the suggestion by uh, an advisor, a guru, uh, where he would have, his suggestion was post show that they go immediately to one of these places where you can be hooked up to a drip and rehydrated. That's how unconditioned and unhealthy the sport has become where the guru is saying right so you're lean you're ripped you're dry you're dry you're dry you've done the direct you've got super duper the condition right after the show i want you to go and get yourself on a saline drip so we can get you rehydrated as quickly as possible that it's very very difficult for me even as a former athlete doing what i used to do and the way that i trained myself the mindset that i had at the time I, I would, I can understand the training part of it. I think I get that. I never had the diet down, so that's not an issue for me. I kind of get the mentality to win and grind myself into the ground and wanted to know that no one else trained as hard as me. But the idea, even then, dragging my sorry ass around a few days before a competition, before I recovered and, and competed and kicked ass, the idea that I was doing something that potentially could kill me or put me in hospital. Well, I don't think that occurred to me, Steve. Um, I know you, you work with athletes, and we have to try to get into the psyche. I think it's difficult for us as Joes like that to understand the mentality that makes a person be so driven to do such dangerous things. And again, I don't think necessarily specifically applies to Sean, but more to the sport as a whole and what we're seeing at the moment. And I think the impact for Sean, again, as you said earlier on, is that a... Mr. Olympia of only a few years ago, still in his 40s, his early 40s, passing away, is kind of mind-blowing. And that's part of the effect that he's had on us, on this podcast, on the vlogs and videos that we've seen with other athletes, and on the industry as a whole. The industry as a whole, regardless of how hardcore they like to come across, have all been taken a step back. And I don't know, as you say, whether that will change the sport or whether we'll shake it off and move on. I think this year, and specifically because of the COVID stuff as well, uh, what we're seeing is a lot more athletes of all sports passing away, which is something that needs to be addressed. And, and you know, it's to the reason why. Uh, and perhaps it's um, maybe there's even arguably an undue, undue focus on these particular things because we've lost so many, uh, both outside of bodybuilding and inside of bodybuilding because of the virus. And then arguably what should be, for the most, most part, a healthy sport, a healthy lifestyle, eating properly, training, cardio, all these things should be healthy, looking good, seems a reasonable aspiration if you're doing the other things, to be so potentially lethal, so potentially dangerous, it's a bit of a mind fuck, Steve. Yeah, and you know we talked about it on the last podcast we did on, on uh, the, another bodybuilder who had passed away, but um, you know that's bodybuilding. You know, it's until they change the way bodybuilding is judged. Maybe doing like a weight, you know, if they do a weight limit, then it's going to screw 
the taller bodybuilders. Like if they said, you know, you can only weigh up to 240 pounds, then you're, you know, the taller bodybuilders get screwed because you're, you're a shorter guy. You can pack on a lot more muscle. So it's not going to help the situation for someone to be five foot five, 240 pound um, with, you know, 6% body fat, you're holding all that muscle mass. That's not healthy either. You know, that's six foot four, 240 pounds at 8% body fat is going to be healthier than five foot five, 240 pounds and 6% body fat, because yeah. you're not going to be putting as much strain on your heart. So, you know, that's that not a solution. You. So yeah. really there, I don't see, um, I don't see a, a simple solution to this, but I had brought up on the last podcast. Uh, my idea would be having an independent doctor uh, yes. being with these bodybuilders and having to, if you're going to be a part of the IFBB, you have to have physicals. I'm not, I don't know if it should be weekly or if it should be bi-weekly or if it should be monthly. I don't know, but anything is better than nothing. You have physicals. And if you don't pass that physical, if your blood pressure is 160 over hundred, boom, you don't pass. I'm sorry. You don't pass your physical. You are basically um, suspended, you know, suspend them until they're able to pass their physical um in any sport you have to pass a physical to to play so why do we not do that in bodybuilding that would solve the issue and then leading up to competitions when guys are going balls to the wall and doing crazy stuff and taking these dangerous diuretics you always must have someone in your presence at all times so if you are in a hotel room you need to have two beds and you need to have your coach, your trainer, your assistant, whatever, sleeping yeah. in the bed next to you and checking up on you constantly. Every, every hour, every two hours, you have to check up. If you're taking a shower, they have to basically crack the door open and keep an eye on you as you're taking a shower to make sure you don't faint in the shower and crack your head yeah. you know, yeah. against the, the bathtub. So that's that that would solve a lot of these issues um if you if you had those requirements so uh, i think that's the simplest way to do it i don't see any other solution um and the doctor like i said has to be independent it can't be your doctor that's passing you it has to be an independent doctor who doesn't have any um doesn't have any favoritism or is just trying to pass you or is trying to purposely fail you because he's paid by the other bodybuilder. No, it has to be completely independent and it has to be that that's just how it has to be. But that, that would, that would solve this issue. I think it would solve the bodybuilding, yeah. but the thing is you wanted to have these 300 pound beasts if you had that. So, you know, it's, it's hard for them to, to kind of do that, but we have to do something here because it's getting out of hand and it will continue to get out of hand. So monster finish yeah. out the show and, and take us into the disclaimer. Yep. Well, so that's my thoughts on that, that last part that you've just touched upon is, is kind of two, possibly threefold. You go, first off, extremes of human behavior is kind of fascinating. This is why we, we like the freaks. We like the, the, the giants of strength. We like the giants of muscle. Okay, it's like going to the circus or seeing the freaks back in the day. With, oh, my God, look how big that person is. Look how dry they are. I get that. 100% get that. I, I didn't have world records and, and try to do crazy shit myself if I didn't. Equally, you are protecting the athlete from their own kind of reckless behavior as you say steve so you know do do we bring in a doctor and stop the guys being absolute freaks I, I don't know if i want to do that as such stop them being crazy strong stop them being crazy muscular etc cetera, etc cetera. but there has to be some sort of agreement on where you're going to be in terms of your health i think something i mentioned in another show before was ultimately the the sport as a whole and that is where as i said in another show do we want to be in a position where the federal government states whatever steps in and says okay where you are that's not allowed you can't do that without a medical doctor you can't do that without medical checkups you can't have your sport be lawful if you're allowing your athletes to die and you know how and it's very easy to pick on bodybuilding from a federal government point of view rather than look at certain particularly bigger picture stuff for the nation as a whole if you turn around and say okay Look how stupid you've been. I think in another show we talked about, for example, American football with the padding and the helmets and the protective gear being brought in by the sport uh, and being brought in by the game itself rather than having to be done by law 
to protect the athletes on on the field of play. So do what needs to be done before you're forced to do what should have been done. That's that's what's right there. And I said ultimately, Sean, and I'm going to say my final thoughts was Sean came across uh, just on based on what we've seen so far as a really really nice guy, uh, well respected, whose passing had an enormously um, sad and uh, respectful effect by other athletes within the game and wasn't really seen as that extreme kind of a guy. When we talk about these things, we'll talk about streams from the sport as a whole, not necessarily from Sean specifically. With the, even if the, and I think one of the things we need to maybe have a half an eye on is that if he did have medical issues, they would have come up in the screening that Steve Smith kind of suggests. And perhaps it'd be one of those things where, you know, he wouldn't have been allowed to get the 300 pounds. If you go to 300 pounds, this is the risk you're having. We won't allow you to compete for that. And that almost seems a better reason than for, you know, having a court case hanging over you uh, when we talk about the, the sport as a whole and other athletes and so on and so forth. Right, I, I will hint at someone else who had a heart attack that we're going to be doing in the next podcast with bad eating habits as part of their way of putting together videos for the sport. And uh, if anybody's got a criminal record, this guy's got a criminal record. See if you can figure that one out, guys. Perhaps we'll get a few words off of him by way of our uh, thoughts and comments, which we'll see, his badass attitude. And then I'll take us into the disclaimer. Please note, as always, we're not doctors and the opinions are ours and ours alone and are based on our views and from the experience and views that we have in this topic go back many years. Our podcasts, <coughs> excuse me, are for informational purposes and entertainment only, the freedom of speech and the first amendment.